I have with me a 40 year crime fighter who uh, at the at the end of 40 years uh, in law enforcement, uh, instead of retiring, he decided, hey, why don't I run? Uh, why don't I run for another office? So uh, he is involved in all kinds of fantastic uh, stuff beyond uh, the law enforcement world. I'm going to call you Sheriff, Sheriff Rutherford. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Betsy. I, I prefer Sheriff. Thank you. <laughs> so I first, I just have to ask you the question that every one of us gets asked at some point in our lives. Why did you become a cop? Yeah, but really it was all about service. Uh, you know, and, and I love Rotary International's motto, service above self, he profits most who serves best. And uh, my father was in the Navy. Um, you know, he protected the homeland under arms and I protected the hometown under arms. And it was, it was just, a, uh, it just grew out of a, a concept of service. Now you were sheriff of a very, very large County, Jacksonville, Florida, um, which, you know, the, uh, the city of Jacksonville, you know, over the years, uh, has been right, a consolidated city. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, and you were sheriff for, uh, quite a while there and uh and you you really ushered in some big changes as far as um the way that you fought crime the professionalism you know i've had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time there and uh and you know but but finally you termed out and uh what made you want to go to washington dc well i tell you betsy uh part of my career that a lot of people don't know about is the fact that for nine of those 12 years I was sheriff, I actually was legislative chair for the Florida Sheriff's Association. I was in Tallahassee lobbying for the uh, Florida Sheriff's Association. And, uh, and it really informed how I came to Washington, D.C. And, and viewed my best practices up here. Uh, because what, when I... It's funny when I when I was first elected sheriff, the way I became legislative chair was uh, I actually had drafted a bill on my own as a new sheriff. I was trying to get the severely ill and mentally uh, uh, ill out of my jail and into community treatment, the severely addicted and mentally ill. And so I had this great bill. They didn't have room on their agenda, the legislative committee. So I ran it on my own and it failed. <laughs> so, but what I learned from that was, you know, I tell people now I was so naive back then. I thought bills passed on their merit. <laughs> no, you got to have the relationships to get that bill passed. And so I spent the next year getting ready for the next session of Congress uh, of uh, the state legislature. And I, take it to the to the legislative committee the next cycle and they're like nope sorry still no room i'm like okay well i'm gonna run it again they're like okay and so this time the bill flies through the house flies through the senate jeb bush signs it into law and when that session was over the executive director came to me and he said hey john the uh legislative committee just elected you chairman and I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do that. I, I'll be glad to do that. And normally the chairman would do that for a year or two. We had such success. I did it for nine years. And, and so I really liked the idea that I could help people and change things and make things better 
you know, not by enforcing the law any longer, but by writing it. Well, and that's the thing. And I, I think, you know, I know a lot of people now are, you know, regardless of party are frustrated. You know, they feel like that, you know, politics is out of control and there's nothing I can do as a citizen, you know, sitting around my house drinking coffee. And and uh, yeah. I would encourage people locally to find out, you know, go to a, a training class, you know, become a, a precinct committeeman or whatever is the process in your state, you know, cause that, you know, it, politicians are citizens first and foremost, right? Exactly. You know, so we should get involved. Yeah, yeah ab absolutely. So you make this move to Washington DC and, you know, now you're involved on a, on a, a national level with this fairly unique perspective of having spent the majority of your life in law enforcement so you know talk about what you saw when you started to hear this we got to defund the police reimagine police all uh, of that talk about that Betsy I will tell you I've, I've never been uh, more upset about the way law enforcement was being treated than than what I saw during the summer of love you know uh, when they were burning major cities all all across uh america and and rioting and murder uh it, it was it, it was horrible and they were blaming the police for all this um and and so they came up with the george floyd justice act which would have you know destroyed state and local law enforcement uh they also went after qualified immunity which they they completely lied about what it is you know they're like oh no you can't sue the police because of qualified immunity well every police officer knows you get sued the way it works is you get sued the judge gets the fact pattern and the judge looks at it and says okay well officer you followed the law officer you followed your agency's policy and you performed exactly as you were trained to do no, they can't sue you. Now they can still sue the agency, mm -hmm. and they can and they can sue the agency and say the training is not good. They can say the policy is bad, but they can't sue the individual officer because he did everything. We all call it by the book, right? So, so that was, uh, yeah, that's the cornerstone of 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 state and local law enforcement. If I, without that. I'm not rushing to the scene of something where I may have to shoot somebody uh, if my family's financial future goes into that call with me. No. Is Now, I'm willing to take the responsibility. If I go in there and I do something wrong, shame on me. Mm -hmm. If I go in there and do everything right, my family's financial future, that of my wife and my children, should not be on the line with me. And so, uh, you know, qualified immunity was under such attack and, and it was all a, a, a falsehood. Right. That's what we call it. The false narrative. You know, we're that's what the National Police Association does is we're trying to fight that false narrative. Now, the, the George Floyd, you know, in policing act, it's got a longer title, um, did not pass but right. there is an executive order uh by president biden coming out um right. that uh, uh part of it is trying to resurrect 
a part of that act, isn't it? Yes, Betsy. They, they, the, the order was signed about, I think, 10 months ago, eight or 10 months ago. And this is really a backdoor approach to the George Floyd Justice Act. They couldn't get that passed through legislation. So now they're going to go around Congress and they're going to use an executive order from the president. And basically what this uh, executive order does in section 19 and section 20. Section 19 says if, if you as a law enforcement agency want to receive DOJ grants, then you have to meet all of these different requirements. And all of those strings that they've attached, Betsy, come right out of the George Floyd Justice Act. All the things that they couldn't get passed in the law, now they're going to try to use as a bludgeon uh, to get us to do, to get federal money, uh, which is our money to begin with, by the way. Uh, it came from my constituent, you know, when I talk about my constituents as sheriff, it came from my constituents. You know, I want that, I want some of that money back to, to protect them with, to do the things that we need to do. And so um, that is section 19, trying to attach these strings. Section 20 talks about taking all of the um, national accreditation models and, and ro rolling this up under the U.S. Attorney General's office. And look, what makes what makes America's domestic security uh, so strong is the fact that we have local and state law enforcement. It's not a federal system. It's a state and local system. It's diffused over those million plus officers, over those 18,000 law enforcement agencies across the country. And, and I tell people, we have to be very vigilant against this idea of nationalizing state and local law enforcement. Because if you think about it, Betsy, name one country, just one country, that's a socialist country that does not have a national police force. There ain't one. And so I'm, I'm very vigilant on this issue. I fight it all the time. But sometimes, Betsy, even, even our own members don't, uh, our own police sheriffs don't realize what they're asking for sometimes. Like I, I had a group of, of sheriffs in, in D.C. here, and they were asking us to do something about their, their progressive DAs back home. And I'm like, wait, guys, that's your job. You go back home and take care of that. They, don't turn to Congress for the answers to all of this. Uh, you know, the strength of our domestic security lies in our state and local law enforcement. Don't bring, that does not need to come up to the, to the national level. You do that back home. I spend a lot of time in the media explaining to reporters the American criminal justice system. And that is one of the biggest things. And I just, I just uh, was out of the country for uh, International Women's Day. I gave a, a keynote talk, um, and there were a uh, almost every country there was a a a socialist country, if you will. And that yeah. was one of the things I emphasized was the difference in the American justice system, the American policing system, and and they were so blown away by the fact 
that, right. you know, a little town of 1500 and its police chief and two police officers gets to determine their own policies and, and, and the way that they are going to police. And that is the beauty of our system. And I, I think, I think you're right. I don't think most people really understand that well. No, they don't. And, and, and I will tell you now I'm a sheriff, so I'm, I'm obviously, uh, inclined to think that, uh, an elected sheriff is more important than an appointed police chief. Uh, and, and the reason I say that, when I look at, when I look at what, what went on across the country, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the BLM movement and, and all of that after uh, George Floyd uh, was horribly killed. I, I mean, I don't know a single law enforcement officer that supports what they saw on that video with that man. Look now, it, it, I, how how they turn around and make him out a hero of some sort is beyond me. But what those officers did at the scene was wrong. No, nobody's taken up for that. But then what I saw across the country, that you know, where these socialists are using that incident to go after the police, to defund the police, to demoralize the police to delegitimize the police, all of that uh, in these cities where where they had the most violence and, and all of that, the one common thread, they were all appointed chiefs. That didn't happen in one city with an elected sheriff. And, and so, uh, you know, I think the value of being elected as a sheriff in your county, now I do, I do point to some of those sheriffs that should have stepped up even though they may be small agencies and they have big cities in their uh, in their jurisdiction, they should have stepped up. Well, absolutely, and that's where that's where voters come in to put on that pressure to say, "Hey, they, we don't want this." You know, I don't. We don't want this crime. We don't. We don't want exactly. you to give in to the rioters and looters. And you know, that was one of the big issues in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one with the riots was was police leadership and where police leadership stood up, yeah. um, you had, well, you, know, the, you know, you had the, a more measured chief, response. Betsy, the chief in Seattle was saying, I won't use her name, but she was saying, you know, well, I, I didn't give this, these six blocks up, you know, the, the mayor did. And, and I'm like, then why are you still wearing your badge? Yeah. You know, I'd have resigned before I'd have put up with that. But as an elected sheriff, I would have never allowed that to happen. And, and, you know, and I had a great relationship with my mayor mm -hmm. because Jacksonville is a consolidated government. So the city and the county are one. And so, you know, from time to time, I had to remind the mayor, mayor, I don't work for you. I work for those people out there just like you do. Yeah. I work for a constituency that I've taken an oath to keep safe. So, that, no, I'm not going to do what you what you're asking me to do because that's not the best thing for public safety, and the, you know, and a couple of times it it put us at odds, but that's the American system as you just described it. Yeah, absolutely correct. So now you you spend a lot of time in Washington D.C. and uh, um, you know one of the things happening there right now that uh, that you've you know fortunately been involved in is the district of columbia their council was trying to reduce um basically reduce sentences for 
criminals. Now, how did, you know, the District of Columbia, unique system, right? Um, how did right. you guys get involved in that? Well, we have legislative responsibility over the District of Columbia because, I, as you know, they're not a state. They're a district. And so through that process, when we saw, uh, actually, it was a citizen. This is, this is a great, um, I, I think, history or government lesson here. A, a citizen came to... Uh, a, a congressman and said, "Hey, look at look at what they're doing, and this ain't right. Can you do something?" And he did. And and uh, so Andrew went went and drafted uh, a bill to undo what they were trying to uh, accomplish by allowing you know carjackers and all kinds of people uh, early release and and all of that. So we we were able to stop that because by by the Constitution, we have some legislative responsibility over them. And that's one of the problems we have throughout the country in, in so many urban areas is, exactly. you know, bail reform, reduced sentencing, things like that right. are, are we're releasing violent criminals back to reoffend, aren't we? Yeah. Well, listen, let, let me tell you, Betsy, when I was sheriff, I had a situation with a bad State attorney, we call them state's attorneys in, in Florida. I had a situation with a bad state attorney. Now he was great in the early years, but as and he was there for decades. He got less and less effective. And and finally he was not prosecuting more felonies, I think, than he was than he was prosecuting. And so as sheriff, it doesn't matter how many times I put people in jail, if he's just letting them go, nothing, there's no deterrent. So I went to the business community and we had a little meeting. It was me, the state attorney and the mayor. And we all presented our case on why this guy was doing a bad job. Now he's elected. And so the very, you know, so when that meeting was over, the business community told him, look, if you run again, we're going to run somebody against you. And so we, we, he decided to retire. I got a great, aggressive prosecutor in there. So we, now we had the intervention piece of the pie. I call it the pie. You got to fight. If you're going to fight crime in your community, you need the whole pie, right? That's prevention, intervention, and then enforcement. And so we had a great enforcement part. We had put together intelligence-led policing. We had operations shut down. We had, we had all the great enforcement going, but we couldn't get prosecution. We had great prevention stuff that the mayor had done a fantastic job putting together. But we didn't have the intervention piece with the state attorney. So politically, I went after him. Yeah. And we changed the state attorney. And by 2011, we had the lowest violent crime, lowest murder numbers that city had seen in 40 years. We had yeah. fewer murders. Betsy, we had fewer murders in 2011 than we had in 1972. Jacksonville is that is one of those uh, one of the communities, one of the counties that I always use as an example of what kind of a difference a prosecutor makes because yep. because because it, it's still happening now that that you know you've got a great state's attorney that is pretty no nonsense 
and uh, is prosecuting crime. And uh, and that's what needs, you know, because we hear a lot of talk about, oh, what are we going to do in Chicago? What are we going to do in Philadelphia, L.A., Seattle, New York? Uh, we know how to fix this. American law exactly. enforcement knows how to fix exactly. this. Betsy, it, it, tell you, Betsy, when we started taking care of the lower level crime, the murder and violent crime took care of itself. It was gone. You know, you, you start, you start, you put the guy in jail and then send him to prison for the first carjacking. And you don't want, he doesn't wind up killing somebody in the fifth carjacking. And that's how we reduce violent crime and, and murder in Jacksonville. In 2011, we had fewer murders than we had. I said 72 earlier, it was 71. We had fewer murders in 2011 than we had in 1971. And by the way, the city was almost three times the size. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Sheriff, I could talk to you all day. I've got less than a minute yeah. left. Where can people find you, follow you, see what you're doing? Yeah, well, if they'd like to sign up for my, I've got a weekly newsletter called the Rutherford Roundup, and they can follow all, all of our activity on social media and just go to at Rutherford FL, and they can follow us there. They can contact me at... Um, uh, rutherford.house.gov and uh, I'll even I'll even give you my cell 904-813-0883 my staff hate that because everybody's got my number but I like everybody having my number well you have such a servant's heart and that's so much of what we really appreciate you and sheriff I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. If you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.